Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to uh, Calm Versations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guests are Carrie and Belissa from LGB Fight Back. LGB Fight Back is a nascent, that is a new organization that is focusing on raising awareness around lesbian, gay, and bisexual rights. In this conversation, we talk about the erosion of the community of lesbians, gays, and bisexuals and how transgenderism has affected these communities. This is part of a long-running series on gender, sexuality, and transition. Over the course of this series, I've spoken with many people with many different views. If these views can be set upon a spectrum, I think that would be between trans acceptance and trans skepticism. And Belissa, Carrie, and their organization fit squarely in the trans skeptical side of that spectrum. So without further ado, here is Belissa and Carrie from LGB fight back. Um, Carrie, Belissa, welcome to my show. Thank you. You guys so are gotta, we going to have a calm conversation? Uh, well, we'll see. That's kind of up to you. But mm. I, I'm going to keep my blood pressure just steady, at least as steady as I can. Um, but So you guys can try to uncalm me if you want. But <laughs> <laughs> No promises, but yeah. That's kind of my brand. Okay. All right. You guys are working for LGB Fight Back. We are founders of LGB Fight Back. Yes. Okay. It's a volunteer organization, so we're not working per se, but we are building an organization. Yeah. When did, when did that become public and how long oh. between inception of the idea and going out, coming out, as the case mm-hmm. may be? That's right. Um, well, we started working on the foundation of the organization last summer, um, and then we launched publicly on Valentine's Day this year because we did a national actions around the country um, with par- a parent organization um, who protested outside of gender clinics. Mm. We protested the medicalization of children and young people for profit. Mm-hmm. In America. Yes. Well, we had, we had a U.S. based organization. So we focus on the U.S. There are other organizations that might focus on um, other parts of the world, but we're a U.S. based and we understand the U.S. So we think we're positioned to address what's going on in the U.S. in terms of LGB rights and um, future generations. And um, I was just, I was, uh, I was coming back from Minnesota and I got an Uber yesterday from the place where I landed and the place where my car was at. And so I'm listening to, well, the driver's listening, listening to NPR and uh, they did a story, a protracted story about all of the anti-trans bills that are going across America. And they were only reporting one side. 
of this issue. They had uh, some people just making these arguments that I've heard a lot, but there was no arguing. It was just, you know, kind of, we're going to publish this stuff and the, and the guy who's interviewing is going to nod along. So I guess I do that a lot myself, but what is your stance on these so-called anti-trans bills, uh, women in mm-hmm. sports or trans women in sports, uh, medicalization of children, of minors. Those are the things that certain uh, states are trying to ban, outlaw, or mm-hmm. establish some sort of official legal guidelines around. A, it seems right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, as an organization, as LGBT Fight Back, we oppose the medicalization of children. So, so I think what gets tricky around some of these these bills in particular is that um, they some of them continue to put LGB and T or LGB and gender identity in the same category. Or um, and so I think that each bill has to be scrutinized separately and individually. Um, and so it's it's not like we can say we support that bill, but not you know we'd have to really scrutinize every single bill. Um, but our organization is LGB focused, so. Um, so we do want to be mindful of the reality that some of these kids, um, and young people and youth that are going through these medical transitions, um, or have the possibility of going down that track. Um, you know, we know that a lot of these kids are are non-conforming. They're not conforming to sex-based stereotypes. And those are the kids that tend to be tracked for medical transition. And so as the LGB community, we know that a lot of our people are, not conforming to sex-based stereotypes. Um, And so we have this kind of feeling of wanting to protect these kids from this. Um, But we also know that some of these kids might grow up to be LGB. And so then we feel even more kind of like we have to protect these kids. The next generation, you could say, potentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Protect them from medicalization. So why is that an issue. Uh, in your own words, what's wrong with, um, let's say, aligning one's body with a set of sex stereotypes so that there is uh, some sort of parity between the personality and the physicality of an individual who may or may not be homosexual? Well, Benjamin, the evidence shows that if not affirmed as the opposite sex, the majority of these kids desist around the the completion of puberty. And in fact, puberty has been shown to be kind of a cure for a lot of the dysphoria or disturbance that people, children and young people feel around their sexual stereotype and about their body. And if these kids are going to desist and grow up in healthy bodies, it's, it's wrong to impose these kids to create lifelong medical patients for the few who are not going to desist around puberty. And also, the idea that we are helping a child by telling them that they're the opposite sex rather than telling them, you know, you could play with whatever you want. You can wear whatever you want. Just be you. And these are ideas to think about when you're older, when you're an adult. 
that I don't think we're, we're helping children by locking them into this, what we consider a false belief, mm-hmm. very young. Uh, you know, there is no science to prove that anybody is the opposite sex, no matter what they believe to be true. Right. So the idea of someone being born in the wrong body is a pseudo religious, you know, idea. It's or it it essentially is a religious idea to say that a soul comes into a body gendered or what, you know, supposed to be a particular sex and oh, wrong body, you know, it doesn't match. I mean, that's really a religious type concept. Um, And so we just fundamentally reject that idea outright. Um, and so we do think it's a false belief. And to, to tell a kid, oh, yeah, that's right, because you want to play with, the, you know, if you're a girl and you want to play with trucks or you're a girl and you don't want to wear dresses, that you're really just a boy. You know, I think that's a really harmful narrative to tell a child um, that, that can shake and rock their self-perception um, completely, um, especially in those, those formative years when they're already in a process of trying to figure out who they are. I mean, that's really what adolescence is all about. Um, and so to, to essentially gaslight kids um, is, 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 is really frightening and scary. I mean, this isn't like, we're not talking about telling your kid, you know, Santa Claus or Easter Bunny or, you know, a tooth fairy. I mean, this, these are really harmful ideas to, to tell a kid that, yeah, oh, you're in the wrong body. We need to medicalize and change your body now to fit, you know. I mean, it's, it's really, um, we think, tragic um, and, and incredibly harmful. Hmm. Yeah, it is particular. I'm trying to think off the top of my head what other belief or assumption, let's just say, comparable to gender, uh, has been embraced by the medical and psychological field so that we will now change the body in order to align with the mind. And the only thing I can think of is certain forms of, uh, I know insanity is not the right word, so certain extreme mental problems, you take drugs for those. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we don't alter the body. We alter the chemicals in the body, which I guess is altering the body. But Mm -hmm. this particular issue around gender is Mm -hmm. rather novel in the fact that we are now deciding Mm -hmm. uh, as a culture or maybe even as a world to use our technology to align somebody's feelings uh, with their body and Mm -hmm. And then, furthermore, align all of society around an individual's feelings. You guys have, when did this come across your radar? And when did you uh, start to go, wait, hold on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that as the LG, LG, LGB people, um, I was, you know, indoctrinated into what we would call, you know, trans ideology um, 20 years ago um, as, as a young person in college. So um, I was very, very indoctrinated into all of this stuff. And um, it was fairly recently that I kind of woke up from all this because I think in large part because of what was going on with, with kids. Um, but also the other part of it for me personally was seeing a number of people from my community go down this path um, and not necessarily have great results. Um, not have the outcomes that they wanted. Um, and, and so, and we've, we've, I think, and both Bliss and I can speak to this, that, um, and other members of our group, that we really have come to the conclusion that, that this idea um, that's 
been pol a political movement that lobbed basically, you know, lobbed onto the LGB movement um, has really been detrimental to our community as a whole. Um, and so, and so it's, yeah, so I did kind of wake up out of this and go, whoa, what is really going on here? And then I had to really evaluate all of, all of the, the history around this. How did this, how did the T even join the LGB and what has been the, how is the narrative harming us? Um, and how has it harmed the community over the long haul? And so I think that our organization is multi-generational. So we have generations of people that are homosexual and bisexual ha that have been directly impacted by this ideology. And we, are, we know lots of people who've been through this. So we've seen it firsthand like no other group has seen. You know, yes, the they targeted the LGB community first. They came in and they saw internalized homophobia, shame around being same-sex attracted, and um, maybe say they, who they are, Melissa. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, there's act, these activist billionaires who are heavily invested in big, the medical industrial complex. Um, I don't know if you know Jennifer Bilek's work where she has researched. She names the names of these activist billionaires and, um, you know, there's a cadre of them. And what they are doing in the name of profit because they're billionaires and they know how to make money, is they're taking their foundation money, which is tax deductible, and they're seeding it into LGBT organizations all over the world, globally, little bit of money all around spreading it, thin, spreading it heavy. Well, it's a lot of money altogether, but they can, a little money goes a long way in a small organization. And they're, they're kind of building the transgenderist movement and spreading the transgenderist philosophy everywhere in colleges, elementary schools, media, government, um, you know, creating a kind of an astroturf movement, as we call it, not a grassroots movement. And they understand that if they seed the demand and create a demand, they have the supply, the cure, the, you know, the, um, you know, what you need to assuage the demand for transgenderism. So they've, they're, they're working on one end to make money on the other end. And um, it's kind of a, uh, a social engineering project. And it's not about self-actualization. It's not about being your authentic self. It's about making money for drug companies, medical companies, biotech companies. They are all profiting from creating the transgender child, which is a complete whole cloth invention recently, and um, profiting off LGB people. But now they will take anyone. They will take anyone's kid. They don't care. You don't need to be gay anymore. And um, yeah, so I mean, when we look back at the history, you know, we we've heard firsthand from, you know, for example, lesbians about, um, you know, men walking into gay bars and, you know, basically peddling testosterone. Um, and where there's a, hi a history here of these drug companies um, uh, um, trying to cure homosexuality. Right. So there's like there's that issue that goes way back um, to the last century of how do we cure homosexuality? You know, homosexuality being in the DSM is a mental illness. So there's a long, long history of our community already being targeted by 
the psychological and medical establishment. And so this trans movement is kind of like the culmination of um, <laughs> how they brilliantly figured out how to uh, take homosexuals and bisexuals and turn them into fake straight people by transing them. Hmm. Because that really essentially is what the, I think part of the initial goal was. Um, because if you have a, a woman, a, a lesbian couple, let's say, and you, you get convinced one of them that she's born in the wrong body and she would be better off if she just lived as a man um, or looked like a man, well, now that couple looks straight, right? Mm -hmm. They look like a straight couple. Oh, okay. So, so we've seen this like erasure in our community um, because so many people were, were fell for this. Um, and so the, you know, just looking at the history of how the medical establishment has portrayed homosexuals, has dealt with homosexuals, and I'm including psychiatry in that because that is part of the medical field. Um, and so you know, we've been a target for them. And, and this is just the latest incarnate of being targeted by, by these industries. And so going you know, back to Bliss's earlier point is if they can sell this lie that you could be born in the wrong body um, or explain your distress or your discomfort in your body um, or the fact that it might be uncomfortable to be homosexual or bisexual in this society, um, if you can sell the lie that, oh, it's because you're born in the wrong body, well, here's what's the solution then. Oh, medical medicalizing, that's the solution. And so the more people who buy the lie, the more money they make. Mm -hmm. And we also... You know, everybody talks about conversion therapy. It's so wrong. You cannot do this psychological abuse by talking to people about their, you know, their sexuality. And that's the old fashioned conversion therapy. This new transgenderism is 21st century conversion therapy where you medically trans the gay away. And, um, we also call it gay eugenics because it's a way of sterilizing the gay people and getting them enabled to be reproduced very much like the, um, the 20th century eugenics movement, which was also seen as extremely progressive and extremely forward thinking. And all these uh, kind of rich, famous public figures were on board with eugenics in the 20th century. They sterilized about 80,000 people in the U.S., most of them in California, which was the most progressive state, of course. Mm -hmm. And this is where transgenderism is kind of coming from, is California. So, um, you know, at the time they sterilized a lot of black women, they sterilized indigenous women, but they also, because homosexuality until 1973 was classed as a, as a mental illness, they sterilized a lot of mental defectives. Um, a lot of homosexuals were, and lesbians were also sterilized during that period of time because they fell under, under you know, defective people and mental, the mentally ill. So, um, yeah, so this kind of conversion therapy is like, uh, you know, instead of instead of dealing with people's psychology, now they're changing their bodies to fit their personalities. And how is that an improvement? It's not. Well, just to speak to that point, gender dysphoria is in the DSM. And it seems like they're trying to get that out 
of there, but then they won't be able to get the insurance companies to pay for it. So I don't know exactly how that is going to work out, but you do see uh, on Twitter, at least, and other uh, websites, this uh, push to make transness non-medical. It's not a disease. It's always been there throughout all of culture. Uh, It seems like with everything that was affecting the gay community that we figured out was wrong or decided as a culture was backward, such as conversion therapy. They're appropriating that and then flipping it around uh, in order to basically get their way or to shore up uh, public support uh, and proper thinking towards this. Why do you think that gender uh, was the way to launch, if, if we take it as a transhumanist movement, a medicalization movement, what was it about gender that was... Uh, so uh, profitable uh, to get people to buy into? Well, I actually think that it has a lot to do with the people who are promoting transgenderism and, and transhumanism into the future, because I think some of these billionaires are, are, are personally consider themselves transgender, whatever that means. And um, so they have a personal interest in taking that road to transhumanism. But I think many roads lead to transhumanism, as we can see from some of the other people involved in promoting, you know, the idea that you don't ever die or that you can manufacture the parts of the body, blood, breast milk. It could all be manufactured and commoditized, commodified and sold. Mm-hmm. So these men they wanted to change their bodies to resemble what their idea of female bodies are. And so I think they, they think like, wow, you know, it worked. We enjoy it. It worked for us. Let's invent the transgender child because that will show people that um, gender identity is innate and immutable and it justifies the, the the late transitioning adult men's the idea that they always were let's say they were always women they were never men even though they had to have extreme surgery and become lifelong medical patients to pose as women so yeah i think that there are a lot of roads to transhumanism but this one interested the activist billionaires and they they saw that there was a market for it maybe an easier sell capitalizing on people's body distress on Mm -hmm. some people who had a fetish and uh it just seemed probably like very doable because it's worked it's worked so well and what has it done carrie you brought up that it's had some effects on your community Mm -hmm. let's uh focus i don't want to assume that you're a lesbian but i think you Mm -hmm. might that's what we're talking about here. So how has this affected the lesbian community, the people that you've known? Well, mm-hmm. Could you tell us like some anecdotes and some stories about how it's shaping and reshaping uh, that particular uh, subset of people? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's the I think the lesbian community has been affected in a lot of ways. And and one of the ways is that we've we've just kind of seen a, a general erosion of of the community. So um, the the 
the, I'm, so I'm Gen X, right? So I can represent Gen X on this, but it's kind of like my generation was, we got a little bit of what the earlier generations had created. We got, we got lesbian bars or at least nights um, where we could gather. We still had community centers at that point. Um, we, we had, you know, kind of services and, and a, a sense of community that brought us all together. Um, and that was really important for, you know, normalizing the experience of being a homosexual, bisexual woman um, in society and being able to build those connections and, and deal with, you know, the internalized shame that people feel or the external shame that they experience and just getting that support system. But what we've seen is that that, that kind of has um, kind of more and more has gone away um, for the younger generations. And so when we talk to our younger members, you know, who almost one, one of them in particular almost transed herself, right? Because in part because she was uncomfortable in her body. Um, she didn't have community. Um, it was cooler to, you know, it was, it was uh, better to just pretend to be a man because, oh, let's, you know, oh, you're so brave and stunning if you pretend to be a man instead of a lesbian. Um, and so, like, these ideas have, have really permeated, um, especially in the younger generations. Um, and so it's it's resulted in an increasing number of, of lesbians going down this trans path. So, well, like I mentioned earlier, when a lesbian transes, then you, you no longer have a vis the visibility. You no longer see a lesbian couple in, in public, right? Um, even in our own communities, if we were just to gather with just, you know, lesbians and bi women, well, now it looks like it, it doesn't look right anymore because it it's, it's like, well, we're all females, we're all women, right? But what's going on here, right? So, um, so there's, there's been this erosion and, and there's been an erosion of, um, as Wilson mentioned earlier, the LGB organizations became LGBT, which we call LGBT Inc., um, because it's really corporate. They really became corporate um, and they became increasingly more and more funded by these billionaire, these rich billionaires that were specifically funding tr everything for the T. So we saw a loss of services for LGB people. We saw a loss of community for LGB people um, and just increasingly so over the generations. Um, and so then we've got these younger generations just kind of left on their own with no community, no support. Um, and it, the narrative of it being, you know, cooler to or better to somehow trans the gay away um, than to actually just be a, be a lesbian in society. So, um, yeah, there's I'm sure specific, you know, specific instances like I can't tell you how many lesbians or bi women that I've known that at some point say I'm a he him. I'm a they them um, don't they don't want to use female pronouns anymore. Like it's just become the norm almost that you know, that, that these women would have been kind of out and proud lesbians and now are rejecting their own womanhood. They're rejecting their own femininity. They're rejecting their own homosexuality. Um, and that is incredibly detrimental for the whole community. Hmm. Uh, the she they's are rather prevalent too, which is a weird, uh, that might be the cue in the, in the acronym. That's, I would bet you that those are mostly not gay or homosexual, like bi bisexual or homosexual, mostly. It's probably mostly the straights. We call them the spicy straights. Those are probably the spicy straights. <laughs> spicy straights. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Melissa, did you want to pipe in, or is your dog uh, piping in? You're muted on here. 
Yeah, the dog situation. Well, I just also wanted to say that um, there's a certain amount of homophobia on a personal level, especially among teens. I think we all remember middle school, high school. Um, back when I came out, they nobody ever said the L word out loud. It just wasn't said. Um, so... When, when a girl or boy, a young person comes out, or if they're, vi they're kind of visibly might, like my, people might suspect that they might be gay, even if they really are not, they get this huge amount of bullying. And I wouldn't even call it teasing because that's too light of a word, but um, a lot of pushback, just kids are so cruel. And at this point, if a kid says that they identify as the opposite sex, they all of a sudden become stunning and brave and they there's a place for them. But, you know, lesbians still get the same amount of hate in middle school that they always got when you went to middle school or Carrie did or I did. It was it was terrible and I experienced it. I'm not a lesbian, bisexual, but yeah, that kind of hate about same sex attraction, fear from the other kids, you know, boundaries are very permeable back then and nobody wants to get the cooties. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's still really harsh and you can see why kids don't want to come out into such a hostile environment if they are given this choice where, oh, you don't have to be a lesbian. You could be a straight boy. You don't have to be a gay boy. You can be a straight girl. There is a tremendous amount of infrastructure on the level of the schools now with the anti-bullying um, training uh, mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, packets of anti-bullying stuff. And actually, uh, from what I've heard and what I've seen, a lot of the transgender ideology is being inserted into schools through anti-bullying. They sneak in this incredibly illogical gender identity ideas. They just kind of mm -hmm. stick them in there. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bunch of enforcement around pronouns and uh, a, a bunch of support for that. And then a bunch of negative consequences for anybody, parent, uh, I guess, janitor, uh, teacher, principal, anybody that disagrees with the trans ideology that doesn't conform to the pronouns on the level of the language. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, from the pronouns goes the concept of male and female. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the ridiculous things that I hope aren't coming up into school, but probably are somewhere such as the female penis and the male vulva or uterus, maybe probably vulva. <laughs> uh, so it, it's really uh, the infrastructure is being set in place to guard you. So if you have this house where you can go in to it, and you're safe from bullying, all you have to do is just accept this ideology that actually doesn't have logical foundations. It's completely created out of these imaginary concepts over here, but at least you're safe from negative uh, social consequences, at least on the surface, or at least officially. So I can see it kind of creating a feedback loop there. Well, I think the thing is, is and, that, and actually it's the, it's the LGBT Inc. organizations that put it into the schools. 
under the guise of bullying. It was a very direct, intentional campaign that they did all over the country. Um, a couple of these big orgs in D.C. that did that. So and they and they they're the same organizations that also have been pushing the anti-conversion therapy laws and anti-gender identity. You know, right. You can't tell, you know, that demands that a counselor must affirm someone's gender identity, right? No matter what their age is, right? So it's the same organizations that did that, that did the anti-bullying laws in schools. So when it comes to the school stuff, yeah, on the surface, it seems like, oh, this is going to be good for the gay kids. But in reality, it's the gay kids who get targeted often because they're not conforming or not gay kids, but the kids who kind of are the most non-conforming sex stereotypes who might grow up to be gay, right? They're the kids who are often directly targeted by teachers, by the council counselors as, oh, maybe, maybe they're just trans, maybe they're trans. And then they introduce the ideas. And now that kid can be really fast tracked for medicalization. So, and then the parents become demonized and villainized if they don't go along with the pronouns. Um, Even up to and including losing their child. Yes. Yeah. There's been, there's court cases now where this is, this is going on. Right. So, and that, you know, like we said earlier, that was a big part of, you know, why we were like, whoa, we have to get in this political game here and put our voices out there because this is not okay. And it's not okay how parents are being, you know, demonized and treated and told that they're bigots and um, anti-gay because they're not um, a great majority of them are not. Um, And so, but it's, it is, it's, so it's really interesting how the, I think that goes to the point about how when the T joined the LGB and they put in that gender identity stuff, it basically cancels out any benefit to the LGB. It it cancels out what could benefit us because it, gender identity actually undermines the potential benefits or rights of LGB people or to end bullying against, you know, gays and lesbians, bisexuals. Yeah. yeah. You said when the T entered the LGB. Yep. Is there a history of that? Because history is currently being rewritten where trans people are everywhere all the time. And there's actually pressure within school uh, programs and curricula mm-hmm. to represent or to, uh, basically to out people in history mm-hmm. as transgender, to project this ideology as though it's always been there. So what is the history of it with regards to LGB? When did well, the first of all, oh, first of all, we call that trans washing, where they take history that's largely LGB and they reframe it as trans history, such as the history of the Stonewall Rebellion, which has been reframed as a as a transgender action when it was led by uh, a black gender nonconforming lesbian. And the the men who have been reframed as trans weren't actually there. They were in the neighborhood but they were not at Stonewall. And it was a gay rebellion led by a lesbian. But there are lots of examples like that. I've heard that uh, Joan of Arc has been transwashed, and she, as far as I know, doesn't have a sexuality. But anybody who is maybe not performing the stereotypical sex role that aligns with their sex is then reframed as being uh you know transgender which is is 
you know, there's a lot of money behind this movement and they can manufacture the materials that reframe this and they can send the learning guides into the schools with these lesson plans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I we don't blame a lot of people for supporting this, teachers, counselors. We understand that this movement is being framed as gay 2.0, gay plus, just another way to be gay. Mm-hmm. And Carrie will talk about how that came to be. But most people just want to do the right thing and be kind and be nice to people. And they don't really understand that this is not a gay movement. This is not good for gay people. This is not helping gay people. We're 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 gay based on same-sex attraction, just like heterosexuals are based on their attraction is based on opposite sex attraction. LGB is about sexuality. The T is not about sexuality. It's about a lot of other things that um, involve a lot of cooperation from the world, whereas. LGB people, heterosexual people just don't want to change a lot of the culture. We just want to live our lives. Mm-hmm. And we're not demanding a great deal of cooperation, changing of pronouns, changing of um, all sorts of societal constructs. The only thing that comes to the only thing that comes to mind is having exclusive spaces such as lesbian bars or uh, lesbian only spaces or gay only spaces and stuff like that, which are well, selected we, based we, on sex and sex attraction. It's, it's more single sex spaces, not single sexuality spaces. Um, so that's something that heterosexuals have always supported is single sex spaces. So we don't, we don't gatekeep for sexuality in our single sex spaces. We. Hmm. Well, I mean, gay, gay bars have been, you know, gay men, lesbians, and bisexual men and women. So it's that's how it's been historically. And then, of course, it kind of there's typically like gay bars that are mostly for men. And then there's nights that might be for lesbians and bi women. And right. I mean, that's how it's been in the community. So, you know, same sex spaces is important to LGB people because that's how our communities are made up of. We have the gay community and we have the lesbian community. That's really how it works. And then you know, and then the bi's go, which, you know, the bi men go with the gays and the bi women go with the lesbians. And then sometimes we all get together, right? Like, that's kind of how it works. So th- that is important for us. Um, but I wanted to go back to the idea of trans washing because that's, we're seeing that so prevalently right now. Um, it's totally revisionist history here um, to to go back and look at somebody in history who, for example, they're doing the start to our history, gay and lesbian history, you know, in so many different ways. They go, oh, now it's, LGBT history. No, it's not. It's gay and lesbian history. That's gay and lesbian history with some bisexuals in there. Like, cause you know, and so, so, and trans is, is a new concept. It's, it is a really new concept. It's like, um, you know, the early term was trans, um, transvestite, um, you know, Rocky horror picture show, 
great, you know, trans, sweet transvestite, right? So that was the original trans term was transvestite. And then, then it, be, it morphed into transsexual and then it morphed into transgender. And that really happened in the mid nineties, late, you know, early two thousands is when that really the transgender is what really took hold. And then mm-hmm. they, they framed it as, um, uh, you know, and then that's, and we, you know, it's funny because we, we can't pinpoint um, when the T actually got joined onto the, LGB, right? But we know it was around that late 90, early 2000s period. But there was no big gay meeting that said, hey, everybody, should we add this tea on? Like, there, like as far as we can tell, this didn't occur. It just, how the heck did this tea get added on? Like, we are a bit mind boggled by it because there wasn't some big community meeting where we all got together and said, yes, let's add this on. It's nothing to do with us, but let's add it on. And in mm-hmm. the sense that it has nothing to do with us, this gender, this notion of gender identity, but it does have something to do with us in that our community was targeted for this particular medicalization as you know very early on that's what it has to do with us is that people from our community fell for the lie that they could become the other sex or that they were better off trying to pretend to be the other sex because they were escaping homosexuality or their lesbianism right um so they fell for the lie and then and then it just it just so we you know we say it it, it basically is like destroyed our community from the inside out because it literally destroys people's bodies. It literally destroys their bodies from going through this process. It destroys the way the community and other people perceive them. And it, it's, it's just kind of like degraded the whole, the whole community as a, you know, over time more and more. So it's, it really has destroyed our community to some extent from, from the inside out. I mean, it's not to say that there aren't pockets of communities, but mm-hmm. negative impact overall. It's like a Trojan horse. I would the category of the trans kid again back to that NPR episode they started talking about the trans kid and the trans kids they didn't define that like what do you ta- what is that when i hear people arguing for protecting trans kids like that term kind of came out of nowhere is that a child with gender dysphoria is is that a child who wants to wear different clothes. What exactly is a trans kid? Do you guys have any history on that or where that came about? Uh, we can see that it does have, uh, you know, this great TV for, I don't know how many seasons uh, that uh, one uh, trans kid so-called has, has been on. Uh, jazz, jazz Jennings. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of was a media thing for a bit, but where that come from? What was the outcome of thinking that way? And what's a better way of thinking? Well, that's just, it's based on sex stereotypes, obviously. I mean, what when you watch that Oprah Winfrey show when Jazz first came onto the scene at like four years old, it's this little boy who like loves pink and wants to dress up in dresses. It's like, okay, so he's a, a you know, a little gender nonconforming kid. Oh, you know, couldn't be a gay kid. No, couldn't grow up to be gay. But like, oh, he must just be the opposite sex, right? Because he likes pink. I mean, it's like, it, this is like sex stereotypes magnified. Like, it's just, I don't know if you want to add something to that, but the invention of the trans kid is just the invention of how do capitalists can make more money off commodifying people's bodies. That's what that is. It's creating, oh, yeah. a, it's creating a community, it's creating a population to profit from. It's turning bodies into commodities. That's, that's what it is. So it wasn't just enough, it wasn't enough to just trans homosexuals and bisexuals. That wasn't enough money for them. They had to take it into the straight world. They had to take it into the youth. They had to take it to the kids. Well, you know, capitalism is really about always expanding your market. 
It's never about being like, oh, we're making enough money. Like we're, we're, well, you know, we're good. (laughs) We have to expand our market. So they were, they were highly successful with the LGB community. And I'm sure that they had a lot of meetings about how can, well, this is working, but so obviously we people will buy it. How can we sell more of it? And the idea, the younger that you start somebody on medicalization, the more medicalization they will need and the you know the more pure profit because they they when you invent the, the transgender child you bring in the idea of blocking puberty and then um they don't even know what medical issues are going to create be created by starting children very young on medicalization and having them medicalized they know some of of the harms other than beyond a shortened life, which is probably they want to try to keep kids as alive as long as they can, because when they die, they stop consuming. But um, I, we have read some market studies, and it looks like they're trying to figure out now what are the harms that are going to come from long-term medicalization so they can start to prepare the infrastructure and the drugs that will be needed to combat the long-term effects of puberty blockers and lifelong hormones and, you know, um, uh, taking away parts of the body that, uh, you know, are are clearly essential or they would not be there. So um, down the line, there's going to be a lot more things in our lifetime that we're going to be seeing that they're like, oh, we, who knew, who knew that this was a bad idea? Well, so it's like they, they, so they, they profit on both ends. So they profit on whether it's hormone blockers, artificial hormones, multiple plastic surgeries, very extreme, you know, surgeries we're talking about here. Um, And, you know, the puberty blockers are known to increase depression, suicide risk, osteoporosis. I mean, if your kids are taking these horn blockers at 15, they have like osteoporosis by the time they're 20. <laughs> that's how bad it is and how quick it is. And that's, it's really well documented with Lupron, for example, because all these people who went through taking Lupron, not for being, not for transing, but for other reasons, all have had very negative, not all, but have had very negative health complaint, um, health issues that have had written, you know, lots and lots of complaints to these companies about these drugs. Um, and so so we already know that these drugs are really dangerous, cause long term health problems. Um, but so they so they benefit that. The, so the market, you know, projections for this is that. They, they profit from starting the process of transing somebody. And then when they desist, um, they also profit from that because if your body stops producing, you know, the hormones that you need, well, now what? You need to be taking those hormones to supplement for it. Or you need to, you want to reverse the impact of some surgery or you, right? So like they profit on both ends, whether you go and you continue to be on this transplant path or you get off of it, you, you still have medical issues now. So they've taken these perfectly healthy people, made them sick, and then have, you know, a cure for the sickness. I mean, that's what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And everybody pays insofar as it's coming from insurance, the pool mm-hmm. of everybody paying into insurance, and mm-hmm. then insurance is covering for this. So this is really is affecting everybody. 
Well, the insurance part is fairly new. So part of what the trans movement did that was very smart and sneaky on their part was um, about five years ago, you know, insurance, public insurance, so Medicaid, you know, would not pay for this. They wouldn't pay for trans medicine. And they Mm -hmm. lobbied these big organizations, you know, um, backed by these millionaires, lobbied to get Medicaid to pay for these different kinds of surgeries and the hormones and all this stuff, right? Because before it was black market, before it was all black market. Um, and, and so then they, so they legalized it in a sense by making the insurance cover it. Um, and then, um, so it's, and they're still trying to change the policy around insurance companies, what they will and won't cover. So California is kind of like on cutting edge with this because they recently just passed a law to make it, they, they would cover double mastectomies for teenage girls, right? Um, well, you know, that's, insane it's not it's like they call that like, tissue breast tissue abnormal it's it's crazy like, calling the body yeah i mean because of something that the brain thinks it wasn't even a law it's the insurance commissioner of california ricardo lara kind of i think it's personally my opinion a backroom deal with this particular um key organization small organization and just sent out this letter that now that um, double mastectomies are going to be covered for anybody regardless of age and they'll classify the breast tissue as abnormal tissue, abnormal structures. And the evidence is that at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, they are doing double mastectomies on girls as young as 13 years old. Right. And it's it's not just evidence. I think the person who was championing that is very, very proud of her work, if if oh, I yeah. recall that. And I, I have yeah. more videos in the wings about this particular individual. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. So it's kind of this, they're still working it into getting the insurance companies to cover all these things increasingly. So, so it's, so who benefits from that? Well, who benefits from that are these doctors, are these plastic surgeons, right? That's who benefits from getting the insurance companies to cover these procedures, because now, you know, and getting the government, getting Medicaid to cover. They're also doing this to uh, a lot um, the kids who are in foster care um, who decide that they're, you know, oh, I'm the opposite sex. They're fast tracked for this stuff, too. So you've got a very vulnerable population of, of youth who have had, you know, not a good early stages of life, you know, very challenging early stages of life in the foster care system. Um, but, but, oh, let's just medicalize them. No problem. Yeah. Let's, you know, I mean, and so the state is paying for this in California, the state is paying to trans these kids who are in foster care rather than giving them actual mental health care, right. Have get, getting them in touch with communities or like those old program, old, old community, you know, big brother, big sister, like those community support programs. And, and, you know, and it's, it's, but the solution has become medicalized, but it's because it's for profit. It's, pro- it's profiting somebody. Hmm. I wonder to what extent, um, well, I guess we can get to lawfare later on down in this conversation because uh, that might be uh, something to naturally switch to. But, Melissa, what were you about to say? Well, isn't that there a new uh, a new ruling about the military where um, the surgeries... Yeah, Biden, he, Biden overthrew Trump's negation of it. And Biden's just doing the opposite of everything Trump did, right. even regardless of any other consideration, it seems like. But we don't have to get into that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, if... if um, 
the surgeries and the drugs are going to be paid for by the military, isn't that, you know, that's a recruitment tool that the government, if you join the military, will now um, pay for all this, this yeah. so-called medical care. But what I question is, how is somebody going to be func function if they are going to undergo but you know we all pay for it and then does you know but you know that that i think is you know a lot of lgb people who aren't who might not medicalize because they don't necessarily have the money might be attracted to the military because they have this internalized homophobia and this shame and you know, to make that a benefit of medical, of military service is not serving LGBT people. And we're vulnerable to that narrative. Mm. And, and we want to speak up and say that this is not good for gay people. The LGB is separate from the T and we need to, we need to promote. And what we promote is radical self-acceptance and self-love for LGBT people that you're perfect the way you are. You don't need to change your body to be who you are. And we want to, to rebuild and develop the LGB community so that people don't have to change their bodies and kind of join a cult of belief in order to find community and love. Mm -hmm. We can have an LGB community that accepts people without medicalization, without trying to get people to pretend that they perceive you as the opposite sex, that accepts your nonconformity and doesn't think that there's anything wrong with it. Right. I mean, so it's the thing is, is that they, again, this is like a trans washing, another bit of the trans washing. So they, they trans washed our organizations, they've trans washed our history, they trans washed individual gay and lesbians in history. Um, but they've also done this in terms of trans washing the community itself by, you know, if it's so stunning and brave to be, you know, to pretend to be the opposite sex, um, then <laughs> then it's what is it to be an actual, you know, to 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 live and be gay, be homosexual and not be pretending about it. Right. Like so it's it's like they've trans watched our community by making it seem like the transing is a better option for you and you'll be and more, more accepted and yeah, more accepted. in the community. Right. Because what happens is when one of us. And I think lots of us have experienced this who are at all public, publicly, you know, critical of this trans movement is we get ostracized from our own LGBT communities. Um, we get thrown out. And this is true even of the sisters who people that, oh, you weren't really trans, you know, um, the sisters who actually are homosexual, bisexual. Right. And then we're like, whoa, this is not good for my body. I'm realizing this now they get kicked out. And so and so they've hmm. they've kind of. They co-opted our political movement. They co-opted our organizations. And in a sense, they've also co-opted the community as a whole because these ideas are permeating all through the community and people were buying it. They're buying these lies. Um, and so we're like, no to the T, just straight up no to the T. Okay. And, and we need to reestablish the boundary of our community as being LGB and okay. being about radical self-acceptance and self-love. And it's okay to be gay, right? Like okay. that's kind of our... 
So kind of like uh, there's a joke movement you've probably heard about called Super Straight, but it yeah. also had super gay, super lesbian, super bi too. Uh, mm -hmm. But it was a radical acceptance of one's sexuality and the absolute stunning denial of people shaming somebody else t into some sort of sexual uh, interaction, which mm -hmm. is... Which is absolutely, it's ridiculous, over-the-top ridiculous. But that had been going on within the lesbian community for years, mm -hmm. where you have AGB uh, or AGP uh, autogonophile, probably uh, males entering into lesbian spaces, lesbian dating apps, lesbian dating pools, and then, you know, even talking about running workshops on how to break mm -hmm. that cotton ceiling mm -hmm. uh, in order to convince the lesbian that you are actually... Uh, gendered soul and that the body is just kind of something that just happens to misalign with that. So, but with the super straight thing, once that jumped out and started to include specifically straight males, straight males fight back in, in a particularly snarky way. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of got rolling, got really big on Reddit. They had 250,000 people on Reddit and Reddit killed it. Reddit has been killing every critical community of the trans issue. It just came out a few weeks ago that uh, there was one individual who was working for Reddit, was a, is a trans woman, uh, and uh, has some connections with some pedophilic and directly pedophilic behavior with her father and, and uh, their uh, husband and stuff, was on the board and preemptively squashing any sort of even mentioning of their name. So just bringing up Reddit, because that's a perfect place for this astroturfing to happen and for this pseudo grassroots movement to happen. You have a bunch of communities that feed upon each other that are trans positive, uh, very strongly trans uh, affirming, and then the kind of the pushing out of the other view to the extent where you have a website that's or a subreddit called uh, 2x chromosomes and i don't know if it was regular but a couple weeks ago their entire front page was uh, trans women uh, so you have that cultural force that looks to be emergent but to what extent is it being played uh, with or, or being kind of hemmed in by the superstructure how is it being supported behind and then to what degree are a lot of people being caught up in this and then just reinforcing 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 this movement yeah. i'm going to land this plane really quickly to get back to your point the way in which the transgender ideology has completely taken over the gay community uh, and the lesbian community the lgb community uh -huh. and enforced itself by kicking out anybody who doesn't agree with it or who questions it does to my mind make it justifiable that there would be a secessionist movement say okay no we we can't even have you at all in our community because this is founded on some behaviors that we can see control our language control our thought and then persecute us when we don't agree mm -hmm. yes yes um but i want to also um backtrack a little bit to even the use of the saying trans woman or trans people or like when you were just talking right now um about that so-called trans person who works for Reddit, like what biological sex is that person? Because Amy that's Chandler. where, huh? Amy Chandler is the name is you're not a, supposed to say. Is that a male though? That's a male, a biological male? 
Because that's like that. See, this is important because when we don't use the correct language, when we go along with the trans language, we're gaslighting ourselves and our and the audience, and that's destabilizing for people to to be grounded in reality, material reality, biological reality, right? So, like, if we go along with their terminology, we're affirming it, we're playing along, we're playing into it, we're feeding it, we're making it bigger, we're making it stronger, we're making it legitimate, right? So, so we're like saying that mm. we can't do that. We have to operate from the basis of what is biological sex because biological sex is what defines us as male, female, um, man, woman, and so uh, homosexual, bisexual, heterosexual. That's we're talking about biological reality here. So, if we don't go along with biological reality and we go along with trans nonsense, religious pseudo BS reality, then we're enforcing it and affirming it. And we find that to be really scary and problematic because we need to talk about who are these people really? Like, is that person really a woman doing that? Or is that person really a man? Because that's important to understand the movement, who's behind the movement, who's funding the movement, who has power over the movement, who's shutting down the voices of dissent like ours or like the the super straights or all the desisters. They all got shut down. All the tons of feminist groups get shut down. Tons. I mean, it's just they just systematically go through and kick people off of all these different social media platforms. Um, and, And there are large groups of people who are like, whoa, 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 this is nuts. We need to like regroup society. And then those people get shut down and those people get shut down so you know i think we need to just call out what it really is and what's what's really going on here so that's part of what we want to say to you know your audience too and 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 Melissa can speak to this too but you know i think people think that it's nice to go along with trans woman or trans man um but we don't think it's actually nice we we think it actually is harmful ultimately to contribute to and participate in a lie we think that's harmful to society and it's especially harmful to young people and kids and anybody who's struggling with maybe believing the lie. It's really mm-hmm. harmful to them. Blossie, mm-hmm. you want to speak to that? Well, people think that it's important to be kind to people. And I think kindness is a really important value, but is it kind to support somebody's delusion? It is nobody can be or become the opposite sex. Men don't have penises. I mean, women don't have penis. Men have penises. It's we all know yeah. that. <laughs> I, yeah, see, they almost got me. Mm-hmm. Women don't have penises. Men don't have vaginas. And there's no such thing as lady dick. There's yeah, no lady, lady dick. dick. Doesn't exist. Not even with a Q. There's no lady, lady dick. <laughs> I think we well, know this. We all maybe know Maybe not even with the cue. And to, 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 when we say that somebody with a penis is a woman because we're trying to be kind to them, first of all, they probably know it's not true. They do. Yeah, exactly. They know it's not true. And it's not only not kind to ourselves to force ourselves to lie when we can clearly say that it's not true. We're doing mental gymnastics to speak in these terms. And also, we're always sending messages to kids and to vulnerable people that um, who might not understand that this is a social lie that we're telling kind of like, Oh, you don't look fat in that dress, but unlike you don't look fat in that dress, this has severe 
repercussions, both both for the person who's who's pretending and trying to get the world to go along with their delusion and for everybody listening. And for the people who don't agree that women can have penises, when we go along with it, we're not supporting people who want to live in reality. We're, we're saying it's not safe for you to speak up either, that you need to keep your mouth shut because I'm willing to keep my mouth shut and I'm willing to appease this, this cult-like belief that people can change sex or, or people are born in the wrong body or that it's okay to LARP, which is live action role play. It's okay to LARP as long as you don't call yourself the opposite sex, but you can still LARP or cosplay or masquerade or pretend. And we'll all just go along with it and we'll use your preferred pronouns because we want to be kind. But in the larger sense, how many people and different kinds, anyway, how, how many people are we being unkind to? How many people are being treated unkindly when we are kind to this one person? Well, I think I think what it goes is, is looking at society as a whole, what's good for the greater good, right? So is it good for the greater good to, to pretend that we don't know what a man is or what a woman is? Is that good for this greater whole? Is it good to, to tell kids in a grocery store, no, honey, that's not a man, that's a woman. I mean, that's a lie. That's a straight up lie. Don't say that, honey. You might hurt his feelings. Right. I mean, it's like that's craziness. It's crazy making. So so when we engage in like the mental gymnastics, the the affirmation, what it not only does for the the damage it does to the greater good is it's destabilizing. It's it's, you know. Um, trying to lie and pretend to yourself, no, that's really a woman, um, when you can clearly see it's a man. Um, so there's that, but then it's also like to the individual who's believing the lie themselves or trying to live a lie, um, it's also damaging for them. So would we say to an anorexic, yeah, you're really fat. You're right. You look so fat. You need to go get liposuction. You're so fat. Like, go change your physical body, right? It's that I, they're messed up and they think they're fat. Do we go along with that? Or a schizophrenic who's like, there's an elephant in the room and it's chasing me. Yes, there is an elephant in the room and it's chasing you. You better run, right? I mean, it's like to affirm these, these bad ideas, to affirm a, a, a false belief um, is to seriously engage in a, a false reality. It's to create a false reality. And I don't think that that's good for all of society. It's not good for young people. It's not good for anybody vulnerable to this narrative. Um, it's not good for law. It's not good for policy. I mean, it's all around just a, a bad thing. First, I think personally, you know, we think it's bad all around. It's harmful. It's ultimately very harmful. So to even play along with the narrative is to play along with the gaslight. If it hadn't have gone as far as it had gone, Carrie, you said that you had bought into it and you were trained in the transgender ideology and you had yeah. the awakening, whether rude or sumptuous. Yes. If it had just stopped in uh, very rare cases of extreme physical distress, the HR, uh, uh, homosexual, transsexual contingent, uh, the medically, uh, you know, vetted, uh, you know, Ken Zucker and Ray Blanchard and James Cantor, all those guys who I found on my channel who do the research say that there's a certain portion, a very small portion of the uh, 
population that is served well by this. If it had stayed there, would you have no problem with uh, changing the pronouns of somebody that you knew that underwent this? If it hadn't become so prevalent, uh, do you think you would be able to bend reality or your perception or at least in order to be kind to uh, one individual or two individuals uh, out of well, a few I mean, thousand? I did go along. I did bend reality and I did go along with the pronouns and I did go along with all of it. And when I came out of that and started to reground in biological reality and in reality, it felt so much better. It just started to feel, I, oh, wow, I feel so grounded. Like, yeah, that's mm. a man. That's not a, that's not, my, my friend isn't a woman. My friend is a man. And like, it just, it started to just feel so much better. Like, whoa, reality, here it is. It's just, mm. it just, it's healthier. It's just healthier because it's real. It's just fact. And, and, you know, I don't know, I can't say what did or what would or wouldn't have happened or how we would feel because this is just what happened. It's just, this is where we're at right now in this moment in history is that it's, it's not just a few people transing. It's, it's, you know, we, the organization that we worked with, um, the parent organization that we worked with for Valentine's day protests have, you know, they have almost like a thousand members across the country all over the country with their with kids who are transing. Um, this isn't these aren't really small numbers. Any, I mean, it's going to grow. And that's the market projections. The capitalist market projections project it's going to grow because they set up in the culture to make sure that it would grow. So it's it's just gone way above and beyond, you know, what we ever could have imagined um, happening. And, and and even for the individuals that, that claim that it's good for them. Well, you know, that we know we well, some of the research shows that um, that the suicide rates go up after medical transitioning, after some years of it. So, um, and we've seen that, I've seen that in my own life. I have friends that have committed suicide who transed. So I didn't save my friends' lives. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we feel this really intensely as a, as LGBT population. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, the gender mapper has been keeping track of the child gender clinics. And uh, she did a presentation this weekend in, I believe it was 2010, 50 child gender clinics, and now there are over 300. And this is an expanding market. They haven't stopped at 300 because it's so profitable. Children's Hospital of Philadelphia has opened a second clinic in New Jersey mm -hmm. because it's so profitable. So if you want to go to gendermapper.com, I believe it is, but um, she keeps track of where they all are and they've all been vetted. So if there are 300 child gender clinics, they, they, they were created to fulfill a growing market. And because it's a capitalist market, they're always going to be expanding their market share. So you could see that there's going to be a tidal wave of kids who grow up and think, you know, this is a decision either I made or was made for me when I was very young. And this, this, you know, I, I have grown beyond this idea. And uh, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So no, Carrie. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I got something else, but I'll, no, say it. Well, I, I, mean, all I have is questions. 
Uh, well, questions are good, but I, I think, you know, it's true. There's going to be a title. There already has been, in a sense, a tidal wave of people realizing that, whoa, this was the wrong track, wrong path. But they're hiding that, you know, canceling all those people. Um, but I think Carabelle is, a, 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 you know, a clear case of this in the, out of the UK, who is medically transitioned as a, as a young person. And then, you know, now is like, yeah, you know, I happen to be in the LGBT camp, um, you know, but this is a clear example where it damaged her maturation. And it it and it does damage, you know, young people who, you know, potentially are going to grow up to be LGBTs psyches. It does damage their psyches. It does damage their emotional well-being. And then if, it, if they take it down the medical track, it damages their physical body, too. So so, um, yeah, I think we're going to see a tidal wave of people being like, whoa, 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 what is going on here? What, what did my parents and these medical doctors do to me? Um, I think we are going to see that, which is frightening. We want to curb that as fast as possible. Um, but I also want to go back to this idea. I'm sure you've heard the term like the true trans. Um, which is a very prevalent narrative. And it's, it's that people talking about, oh, well, that little tiny percent that it did good for them, you know, or the psychologists or psychiatrists that say, well, there is, there is a little population that really is true trans. Um, and the thing is, like, you know, the question in our mind is, well, what defines a true trans? How would we possibly define that? Because trans isn't even really ever defined. Gender is never defined, clearly. Um, and so there's so much amb ambiguousness around these terms in general, which is why if you just go with biological reality, it's much more grounding. Um, <laughs> but, but to go to the true trans, almost always the true trans, the person that they say is true trans, is almost always a homosexual or bisexual um, who, who passes really well. As the opposite sex, and and that and that and bless you can speak this too, but but the you know a very effeminate male who's like, well he's almost a woman anyway, might as well just go all the way, just become a woman. You're almost there anyway. You're so feminine. You're so effeminate, right? Um, and it's it's kind of well you know um, that's a real thing, and that and so and then you can see why somebody who might really be very non-conforming could be susceptible to this idea well, maybe I really am just a woman, right? So there's this vulnerability going on there anyway. So, mm -hmm. so usually that's who the, these people fawn over is these gay men who do it well, you know, femininity, you know, pretend woman so well, um, there must be the real true trans. Um, so there's them. And then there's these other population that is, you know, heterosexuals that will still claim a trans identity, even if they say, I'm trying to save trans children, but they're still claiming a trans identity. And that's like saying, um, I can drink kids, but you got, you should not drink. It's bad for you, but it's good for me. I can drink all I want all day long, but kids just definitely don't drink. Right. So there's these like role model type people who are still claiming, they become role models, right? These young kids see these adults pretending to be opposite sex. They think it was good for them. They want to do it. And they think the kids think, well, I have to prove it. I have to prove that I'm really trans. I have to go get the surgery. I have to get the hormone. And this is how teenagers are. You know, you give some, a teenager something to rebel against. Oh, they go hardcore hmm. for it, right? Hmm. And my generation was like, we wanted a nose piercing. We wanted a tattoo, right? Like, okay, pretty minor in terms of long-term impact, right? But this generation is like digging their heels in, like, mommy, can I get my breast removed? Can I get my breast removed? Right? Like, it's really intense for these parents to be hearing this from their kids all the time. I need to get testosterone. I need testosterone. You know? So, and again, this is permanent damage to their bodies. The testosterone for in females after three months is permanent damage to their bodies. Three months. You don't so, get that. Um, 
Yeah. So, so, so body modification, um, you know, I guess I, you could tell, I know what I'm talking about started to really catch on in the nineties and really normalized the idea that you could customize your body you, between tattoos and piercings and, and the rise of cosmetic surgery being very mainstream. And so now it's, it's becoming, the idea that you can change your body parts like Lego pieces and you can, you know, just do whatever you want. It's just so normalized. But what is with the true trans, it seems to be that the more somebody medicalizes, the more money they spend in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for genital surgeries and body chest surgeries and facial feminization surgeries and every different kind of modification on their bodies, the more they're validated as true trans and they're more accepted as being the real ones. Whereas the let's, especially the men who don't, um, who don't do it as well, who maybe haven't spent as much money, don't have as good raw material, aren't naturally effeminate in their gestures, are made fun of and mocked and always know, oh, yeah, they're not trans. They're just a fetishist or they're just, a, you know, uh, you know, delusional. But somebody who's who's done the full body modification is stunning and brave and real and they get a platform and they get to speak and they get money from you know different people who will support them financially as they talk about um you know these issues or being anti you know medicalization while they've medicalized so that's why we we don't actually differentiate between the people who have just socially transitioned and not we don't even like the word transition but mm -hmm. socially adopted this belief system without any medicalization and the people who have done full extreme medicalization we do not accept that either of these types of approaches are are good because we don't want to encourage medicalization we don't want to say the more you medicalize, the more we accept you, the more we pat you on the head and say you're one of the good ones and you're real. Because we don't want to send the message to anybody that this medicalization, it's all a bad idea. It's <laughs> all harmful. And mm -hmm. when people in, in, let's say, our movement, which is, you know, called often the gender critical movement, um, when they they sometimes accept people who pass and reject people who don't pass. And that is the opposite of what we should do. Accept them how? Uh, like agree with them, hang out with them, accept them as a person they, or, or affirm they, well, the particular identity? They seem to get a platform to speak about um, issues pro or con, whether it's pro pro transgenderism, pro medicalization, or anti. Like I did this, but kids don't do it. It's not a real thing. You can't okay. change your sex. You keep Yet, on. It hard. sounds like you're speaking about some very specific people who I've had on my channel. So we don't need to <laughs> name them, but I think I know what you're saying. But you're saying that you won't even accept like communicating with them. You won't accept. No, uh, no, their it's, input it's the narrative. 
it's the narrative. It's the narrative that it's kind of the discourse around these ideas and the idea that what we think is being, in a sense, promoted, whether intentionally or not, is that when you when we platform people who who participate in the narrative, who claim a trans identity, um, that it it spotlight them and sets them up as a role model for young people or people who are vulnerable to this narrative. So whether or not they personally are saying it was a great idea for them or not, it doesn't really matter because it's still saying trans is real. We use the, we use the false pronouns for them, you know, the, um, and, and we're, we're still kind of affirming the ideas all around it. And especially what tends to happen, what I think Melissa is speaking to is that it's, it's either these homosexuals who pass really well, who are considered true trans or these heterosexuals who've done these extreme body modification surgeries. So like, we don't want to politically support extreme body modification or that okay. the idea that you need to change your body into drastic, drastic measures to just be yourself, yeah. right? To be authentic is to be you're in your body. Like that's part of authenticity, part of, right? Like that's my, my personal take on this. I think it's our group's take on this is that it's not authentic to get a bajillion plastic surgeries. That's not authentic. That's the opposite of authentic. That's inauthentic. So, so we're just putting out the critique generally that I think we need to be wary and, and mindful that whenever, you know, if we're going to accept this group as true trans, but not these people, it still reinforces the narrative. Okay. Yeah, and, you, and just the idea that the more you medicalize, so you pass better, the more you're accepted as being true. You're, you know, not, those people aren't okay. true, but this person is true because they've they've spent more money and more time and more energy and more gone to more extreme measures to medicalize, and they finally are their authentic selves. Like no, like no, that's not good. Okay. Okay. You sound um, like trans exclusionary radical females it's almost like there's a acronym there or something that describes your position that's a joke but <laughs> funny <laughs> benjamin no 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 you guys are being very that, very that radical you're getting to, down to the root yeah yeah yeah. we are radical and it's, yeah. you know that slur i think is the term that you that acronym that you're referring to is a slur um, that's used against women who tend to have strong opinions. Um, it's a thing. Um, yeah. No, no, I, I, I know. But I, I speak with many a person who has different relationships with that word. But oh, sure. I'm, I'm using that word not as a slur. Mm-hmm. I'm using it to point out that and on the spectrum of opinions mm-hmm. that I've spoken to with this issue, you guys are very radical mm-hmm. in your exclusive rejection of the entire notion of transness of something being trans or, or that that is a valid category and if i may summarize and please uh, uh add nuance to this it's because your guiding principle is authenticity that's rooted in a uh, honest uh connection with reality specifically biological reality that well, is I, the yeah. basis of your principles it seems well, like well, well, let's say that what is, how do we define homosexual and bisexual and heterosexual? That's based on biology. It's sexuality. It's based, right? Like, so yeah, that's where we're operating from. Because if we no longer defined 
uh, if we, you know, they actually have tried to, oh, they, I think in the dictionary, they have changed the definition of homosexuality to same gender attraction instead of same sex attraction. Hmm. Yeah. So like, this is affecting us really hardcore. Like this is yes. really affecting our community. So like, there's a reason yeah. why we are so vocal and so radical okay. as we are, because yeah. this is damages, damaged our community in so many ways that we're like, okay. we have to take a more radical position on this because of how we've seen it play out in our communities yeah. and how it's okay. now playing out on a greater scale. So yeah, yeah, but also maybe we're the voice of reason here that other people haven't wanted to kind of be so bold I've spoken with a few others who who take yeah. who take this uh, uh, this particular stance, and I understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to make that clear uh, that this is, is you guys on the spectrum of opinion. You guys are very solid on it, and it. I feel like I understand why that is, mm -hmm. and it also makes the question that I was going to ask a bit ago mm -hmm. a little bit more pertinent because you guys didn't name yourself lgb alliance mm -hmm. you named yourselves lgb fight back so it is a you're very you're taking you're putting your feet uh on the ground and you're drawing a line in the sand in what ways to expand on this conversation what ways are you fighting back what are the paths towards uh affecting the broader conversation around this mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of ways to fight back against the trans ideology and the trans narrative. And I think one of them is just being, you know, upfront about what we think it is, what the history of that movement is, why it exists, um, where it's coming from. I think people just maybe need a bit more info on this movement, that movement. Right. And then to, to, to tell our story about how that movement has damaged our community um, mm -hmm. is part of what we're doing. But we're also looking at, you know, how do we rebuild our own community? Um, how mm -hmm. do we support people in our community? I mean, just as a little example here, one of our members who almost, you know, like I said, almost trans herself um, was still kind of claiming to feel feelings of, you know, dysphoria or whatever when we first started meeting. And that's now resolved after about you know, a little under a year of working with us, of being connected mm -hmm. to other people who are homosexual and bisexual, having that oh. connection resolves these issues magically. Yeah. Can you believe that? Um, mm -hmm. for, for, at least for people, you know, in our population. So, so you know, I think that, that there's a lot of ways we can fight back. Um, but I think at this point, you know, pushing the... Um, pushing the ideas that we have around... Um, and the facts, the historical history i think is important for people to understand because i think a lot of people are um have been very indoctrinated um you know whether it's medical counselors teachers i mean they really push this whole narrative right so people go along with it and um what we really want to say is to the all those people that are have been supporting it because they think it's gay plus or gay 2.0 and um that it's just it's not and we really want to give permission for people to just say no to this because we now are in a position where our community really has to say no in order to kind of like survive, like, <laughs> right? To even have a community, we have to say no at this point. Um, and, and so, but we want to say to like straight people also can say, can say no. And I think that's what that super straight movement was, you know, that's, that was symbolic of that, that people are starting to wake up because most straight people don't really know about these issues. Like these parents who who have their kid come home and go, I'm a boy. And the parents are like, what are you talking about? I mean, parents are like completely blindsided. And so I think most straight people probably are like most straight people probably don't know someone who's so-called, you know, calls themselves trans or, you know, it's just 
it's a pretty tiny little group of people that somehow have so much influence and power over society. Um, mm-hmm. But most people don't know any of these people. And they also don't know that very many gay people probably too, to even, you know, kind of hear what's going on in, inside the community. But, but I think that some now, because there, there's like this pressure for, you know, um, straight men to, to, to sleep with, um, you know, uh, trans women there's some of that pressure now that's that's kind of coming on to straight straight men um and that, that so straight men are like whoa wait a minute wait a minute what's going on here right and that's good i mean that's good that 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 people are waking up to this and and the reality of it but we want to encourage people straight people in particular to to say no we'd really love to see some organizations pop up um that are made up of straight people that are also saying no. Um, we love the idea of, you know, men's organizations even taking this on, like forming into groups and, and, and taking this on. And because part of it is like, what, what are we going to do with all these kids? Like who, who's protecting the, these kids and their health? We need, we need people to speak up and to, to pass, to pass legislation that will protect kids, you know? And if people have gay friends or family members like yo we need some protection around this too um you know we need to protect the vulnerable the people who are susceptible to these ideas you know so yeah so you know one of the main reasons we formed lgb fight back is it's an action to let people know that the lgbt is a forced teaming we the lgb and the t are not the same and people who are not involved in the LGB or T don't understand that um, they, they are not homophobic or any other kind of bigot for opposing uh, the, a belief system that doesn't make any sense. One of the, our first actions we joined with PROGD K parents of ROGD hmm. kids, I may have had it wrong, gotcha. and um, because they they needed our support in order to not be called homophobic mm-hmm. and bigot because yeah. they're or they're right not right wing, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're they're not they they actually are okay with their kids growing up to be lesbians or gays or bisexuals mm-hmm. because they'll still grow up with a healthy body. And they'll they'll be healthy people, and they won't be making themselves physically ill unnecessarily. So we teamed with hmm. them to show that it's okay for straight people, for parents, for anybody to say this is not gay 2.0, this is not gay plus, this is not a new way to be gay. This is an entirely different thing, and it's hmm. medical harm. Mm-hmm. And um, so that is an action to just stand up and show people that if they're called homophobic, they can come talk to us and we'll stick up for them. <laughs> Nobody was saying that. And and we saw that that, um, you know, even though our our community was is very colonized by these ideas that there are some of us who who aren't, you know, we. So many people will lose their livelihoods for standing up. And, you know, we're going to take that risk. Okay. Yeah. And we think that, you know, they'll say, oh, that, you know, they might say, oh, you're transphobic or whatever. And it's like, well, what does that mean anyway? Because no one can define trans and no one can define gender. So that's a nonsensical term. But also, um, you know, we just we think that the idea of transgenderism is homophobia. It essentially is rooted in homophobia. So it's 
transgenderism is woke homophobia. It's just progressive homophobia. Just take those take those homosexuals and bisexuals and turn them into fake straight people. So progressive, such a progressive solution to homophobia. I mean, like we, we solve the homosexual problem by by transing these people. I mean, this is this is essentially a modern day eugenics movement. That's what this is. So we're just calling it what it is. Um, and we're just, you know, this is if someone says, oh, you're homophobic for not going along with LGBT. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. That's transgenderism is woke homophobia. Not participating in that. So we're trying to give some political arguments back to people to be like to arm themselves with a rebuttal when they get, come under attack because it's 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 um it's really a fallacy. So okay, and going forward, what do you have uh, coming up uh, well, with your movement with your group? Well, we're we're right now we're working on like infrastructure with the organization, membership development, building our membership base. Um, we'll probably be doing some kind of gay events, um, gay-centered events. Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of to be determined at, the, at this point what exactly we might do next. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, we want to be able to say to the homosexual bisexuals out there, like, hey, come and join us. If this resonates with you, if this makes sense to you, if, if you mm -hmm. know that if you can see the damage it's done to our community, if it's hurt you personally, you know, come join us because we need more people to come together to, to join in into the fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, community aspect is uh, kind of hit me uh, when you are. Well, I, I could just see from the perspective of a lesbian that I'm going to make up just out of my head. Uh, yeah, you know, gender nonconforming, social pressures, uh, kind of, and because of that, kind of distance from everybody, feeling a lot of alienation, uh, having no place to go, or I guess you go to your LGB uh, groups. There's LGBT youth groups now, and you know the, the, that are supposedly straight uh, or safe spaces, not straight. Uh, but safe spaces. Well, but without the lesbian bar as a lesbian bar, without the lesbian community as a lesbian community, without the female group mm -hmm. uh, that is accepting of a spectrum of femininity and a spectrum of females, personality-wise mm -hmm. and physically-wise, mm -hmm. uh, through that exposure, through the exposure of that, not this ideology, but through, through the exposure of just being around other women mm -hmm. and speaking through that and having connections with elders and, yeah. uh, and then eventually being old enough to be in a mentor relationship with, with another female, that would... I could see in this imaginary lesbian that I'm making up would be the best way for her to come to terms with the alienation, her, her nonconformity mm -hmm. and the body that she has that is uh, getting all this attention either internally or externally that is causing her to be upset. Uh, and that's non-invasive uh, uh, way, but it does take longer. Uh, and, you know, uh, longer. Has, uh, longer than what? I don't know. Uh, then, then three months on testosterone. It might take you ten years to grow into your body. It might take you thirty years to become comfortable with yourself. It might take you fifty years to become comfortable with yourself. Not that the drugs will get you there faster, but the but their effect takes uh, root much faster. Uh, well, I think that I think a lot of maturity. Sure, but I think a lot of women generally have body discomfort. I mean, I think that's like a normal experience for for lots and lots of women. I mean, a lot of things mm -hmm. happening in our body that aren't exactly pleasant and fun. So, you know, I think that young people have been again fed some kind of lie that 
Hmm. You're supposed to feel perfectly great in your body. And like puberty is a really uncomfortable, weird time, emotionally, hmm. mentally, physically. It's all, it's all very disruptive and, and their body's changing so fast. It's, it's an uncomfortable period. So then to say, oh, your discomfort is because you're really a boy um, is, is that's again, that's a total gaslight. No, where they, they need to be told is that puberty is uncomfortable and you have to adjust to this new body that you're in. And the adjustment might be over your lifetime of adjusting because it just keeps changing. That's the other thing. Your body, like, you know, our bodies do change over your, time. Continuously. Yeah, your gender identity, that's immutable. <laughs> it's like this most formless thing will stay constant, which it doesn't. Your identity doesn't stay constant. No. Your individuality yeah. People are changing and growing all the time. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. the idea, even that the three months on testosterone will do anything but have a few physical characteristics. It's not going to resolve any, as we know, you know, no, no pill or potion resolves anything so the idea that it's solved as if this is the problem and this is the solution is is just so false and such a marketing idea <laughs> that um yeah of course we can't match that marketing idea being sold by big pharma that this thing in a bottle is going to be the answer to all your your emotional and physical discomfort we can't we can't match well, because it's a lie and nothing in a bottle is or out of a bottle is going well, to solve puberty or growing up or groin know. pains or groin yeah. pains. Which we have learning all how to love lives. somebody. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the, and the thing is, yeah. yeah, and it's not a it's not in the bottle. Let's be clear. Testosterone, they're injections. They're shooting themselves <laughs> up in the thigh. Typically, yeah. I know because I've seen friends do it. I've been there and seen it. So like um, it's it's. Um, that's, I mean, we don't support junkies shooting up with heroin needles, do we? No. Why would we support teenage girls shooting Come up? Come on. Testosterone? We're not in California, so <laughs> no, we can't but, say that, that, we're, that that's not being supported. No, but it's, but it's, testosterone is a psychoactive drug. It's an addictive drug. And that's why what um, men who play sports, they're not allowed to shoot up testosterone, right? Like, there's a reason. So wait, it's not okay for male athletes to shoot up testosterone, but for some reason it's okay for teenage girls to shoot up testosterone. That's, mm. that's crazy. This is insane. Like, mm. and it doesn't solve their problems. It does not solve their distress. Like to be faking. I mean, this is the thing I've known, you know, women, lesbians who tried to, you know, did this, pretended to be a man, a straight man, pretended to be a straight man. And they knew they were, they knew bathroom. They knew they had to, Make sure they tried to act like a man or, you know, behave in the, in the cult male culture and they didn't want to get found out or like they know they know that they're full of it, that they're faking it. So it doesn't make it better. It doesn't make your psyche better by pretending to be something that you're not. In no way is that a healthier alternative, even if you somewhat pass in public. It, it doesn't really make it better inside. And almost everybody I've ever known who's done this trancing, they upset. There's like an obsession. Am I passing? Did I sound right? Do I look okay? Are you sure? This constant need for affirmation, this constant need for validation. This is not a healthy dynamic. This is not a healthy dynamic. So it's um, the idea that taking tea for three months is going to solve anything is just that is false. That's a false notion. And, you know, they, the same with estrogen, both estrogen and testosterone are 
psychoactive and addictive because you get a feeling from them that you chase. And, um, you know, the same men are not supposed to shoot up testosterone unless their body requires a little bit of testosterone. They don't give uh, postmenopausal women estrogen because they know that it causes cancer. So why would we give it to teenage boys and young men if it's known to cause cancer in women whose cells are programmed to use it? Yeah, we are on the precipice. I, we're, we're witnessing right now the, the cultural, uh, this cultural movement, which is tremendously effective, tremendously effective. And if nothing else, if anybody was doubtful about anything, this interview, at least just be a little skeptical of just how quick this has taken over and how strong the speech rules are around it. Uh, they're very strong. Um, but I can see that... Um, I lost my point. It's very, very effective, very powerful. It's going into children. It's, uh, yeah, the precipice. Uh, a generation, a uh, hundred years ago, they had World War I. They sent an entire generation uh, to slaughter themselves. I, I feel like this is being used to just send, a, basically to be the, uh, be a, um, through this, not to not to reduce the entire transgender movement to this, but with regards to medicalization, this is taking uh, the biggest sample possible of an entire generation and then submitting it to experimental therapies, uh, experimental therapies, and in ten years we're already seeing it now mm -hmm. in little it, it, with individuals, but in ten years the large scale effects of this will no longer be ignorable uh the you know all the medical data that's going to be harvested from that if you guys are true about the the counters to that you know and then it'll just be infinite medicalization one way or the other hopefully we know that or it will be seen the actual reality of what what happens to a society what happens to thousands and thousands of bodies when they are subjected to this kind of medicalization. Uh, and then we'll see what happens with regards to lawsuits and policy, which we still have to fight tooth and nail to get smart policy in place right now, if for nothing else than to balance the trans protections with the female protections, in the very least to, to protect females uh, and female prisoners, uh, female spaces, uh, vulnerable uh, populations from the encroachment of, of males that are using this as a guise to uh, gain access to females. So there's a lot of different moving parts here, and there's a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I, I, but what I'm gaining, you guys are really focusing right now on outreach and, and basically on just getting out this message and providing people with support and information about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, and the, and the political backing, the political backing to stand up more mm -hmm. boldly and just to outright reject these ideas. Yeah. I think is really what our society needs at this point because mm -hmm. it's so, again, it's so destabilizing. Um, and, and I think that, you know, why, why would our society want to normalize this e extreme body modification? Why? What, what is, what is the, what's the benefit to, to normalizing 
this, right? Who benefits from normalizing this? How is this going to help our society and our culture by, by normalizing this stuff, right? Um, and especially when we see the policy implications um, that are kind of coming down the, coming down the pike. Um, and it's, you know, I think, again, I want to go back to even just questioning the idea of balancing, you know, so-called trans rights with women's rights. Like, what is a trans right? Like, what is a trans person? Who is a trans person? What does that even mean to begin with, right? So, like, I mean, I, I think that that's there's still these looming unresolved hmm. questions around what that even means. I mean, are we really creating a new category of human? Like, is there really a new category? We've created a new category of human. What's next? Is there going to be a third, fourth, fifth new category of human? I mean, if we're not basing it on reality, biological hmm. reality of man, woman, male, female, where are we going as a society? I mean, it's getting weird. This is getting weird. It's getting too weird, right? So like new category of trans person, it's a new kind of person. It's a new, because you've had surgery. We don't call women who have double D boobs, who've had plastic surgery and gigantic breasts, a new category of human. Why would we do that with somebody who's had some other kind of extreme body surgeries? That's, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's just cosmetic surgery. And, you know, like they've changed the outer appearance of, the body these people but their their cells still have the same dna in every cell of your being you have your xx chromosome or your xy chromosome it's a very very small percentage of people who are what you call intersex it's 0.16 percent i believe and most of those people still fall morphologically into male or female it's not like you can't tell, but oh, right. um, yeah, so this is just a cosmetic change. It's as if they, you know, we all know people have gotten nose jobs or I, in the 90s, women were getting parts of their feet cut off so that they could fit into stiletto heels, which are not so popular anymore mm -hmm. because fashions change. Mm -hmm. But um, did the women who had their feet altered to fit into stiletto heels, are they a different category of human because their feet are now different? The if you change, people? Yeah. People. They're called if you change, people. If you change your genitals around a little bit, does that mean you're a new category of person because you had an operation on your genitals? because the government paid for it or you could afford it. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And we don't, they are, somebody's feeling in their head is we all have a lot of feelings. You know, I have a lot of things I wanna be, a lot of things I wish the world would validate me as. I'm trans age, Benjamin. Yeah, she is. I've been, I'm, a, I'm a little, you know, I haven't really come out. You're a young soul. Age. Well, you know, I'm 33. And when I was I was born at 33, but I was a, I was assigned age zero at birth. And I'm non numerary. <laughs> I'm I'm non numerary. And I don't really understand why the the numerary system has to apply to me. I, I want to I'm starting a movement so that on my ID and birth certificates, on people's ID and birth certificates, we can put an X instead of age. Because, you know, time and the calendar and clocks, they're all a social construct. They've all been invented by, by you know, before clocks and 
calendars were invented? How did people know how old they are how, or what time it was or what day it is? White people had to come in and create calendars and clocks and the numerary system. <laughs> there are lots of different calendars. There's a Jewish calendar, the, the Chinese calendar, the, the um, Iranian has a different calendar. And, you know, they don't agree with each other. You, you look at um, daylight savings time, the world adjusts the time for farmers, except for Arizona. Arizona doesn't go along with daylight savings they're, time. They're trans age too. Yeah, they're, they're trans time. So, you know, I was an old soul. I was born 33. They used to call it old soul. You know, they used to say, well, you know, 30 is the new 20 or 60 is the new 70 or, you know, I think like 10 is the new 13, but, you know, I'm 33. I've always been 33. And I, I want people to swipe right on dating apps because I don't want them to, to like judge me by the, what they see. Mischronologize. Yeah. They're, they misage me. They're trans age phobic. If they don't swipe right, right on me because of my perceived age, because that's not my true age. Only I can know my true age because it comes from inside. And it's my lived experience that I'm 33. So there you go. You know, like, like. Again, you guys are, you guys are, uh, I appreciate it. Um, I keep my cards close to my chest, more or less, but I very much appreciate your honesty and the, uh, let's say this, your principled take is very welcome uh, to hear. Uh, it's it's rare. Um, and uh, feather ruffling, uh, and yet refreshing uh, at the same time. Not my feathers, but I can see, I can, I can feel the flutter of a flock of feathers out there being ruffled uh, mm. by the... Uh, straight um straight talk that you are uh, committed to actually it's a little bit more gay talk it is kind of gay <laughs> but gay is the new straight uh, or is it straight's the new gay i don't know um <laughs> yeah you guys are pretty gay uh in a good way good gay um it's good so uh, any events you want to plug, website you want to plug, uh, you guys coming out with materials, anything on the horizon, organizations, pamphlets, brochures, PowerPoints, Zoom meetings, uh, webs, webinars, possibly anything like that. Uh, yeah. So our website's LGBTFightBack, and it's at this point dot dot org, and at this point it's um it's all about the Valentine's Day action that we did. Um, so we're actually in the process of rebuilding our website to make it you know our coming out okay. bigger coming out party. Um, yeah. But but yeah. So again, it's like you know we've been working on this for almost a year, and mm-hmm. part of the really deep work that we had to do was kind of looking at the the narrative the trans narrative and then looking at how do we counter that trans narrative and that's how we came up with these these different kinds of terms to say oh let's call the BS on that and you know so and okay. to, to reground the reality so um so no we don't have anything publicly that we're ready to announce in terms of next steps um, but you know we'll certainly let everybody know when we're ready follow Excellent. us on Twitter LGB fight back oh yeah we have a and, lot of fun on Twitter oh I I bet you do. Um, 
And LGB fight back is just one word. No, no fancy underscores or dashes or anything like that. Just one word. Yeah, we're not fancy. Excellent. Um, well, uh, I'm going to end recording, uh, and then uh, we can speak briefly afterwards. So thank you very much for joining me, uh, Carrie and Belissa. And thanks for uh, allowing me to uh, investigate what you guys are up to. Thanks so much for having intense. us on thank the you. show. Yeah, thank you so much. Excellent. I'm going to stop. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.